well, good morning. And I was just saying what a great, uh, how well the, the team led the worship, a real sense of God's presence in the house. And I hope God is touching your heart. Um, I'll just do a, a little bit of a, a background because thank you for the great welcome and the way I've been looked after and cared for. First time down in Port Lincoln and uh, I'm coming back whether they like it or not. I might even bring my wife with me if she behaves. And (laughs) if you try to work out the accent, you probably worked it out at South African. I came across in 1980. I met my wife the second day in the country. Got married 11 months later. I'd like to tell you I was only 10, uh, but I wasn't. And um, we've been married 42 years. And I tell her that I only married her to stay in the country. And (laughs) she says, I kept you, which is true. I've got two kids whose names I can't remember. I don't care because I've got three grandkids. And once you get there, you don't even care about your kids anymore, you know. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I've got like, two outstanding kids, but my grandkids are a long way away up in Mount Isa. And we've been in Canberra 25 years and love it. God's been very good to us there. So just a little bit more rather than just a talking head. I believe God is doing something extraordinary across the earth at the moment. And I know that's an easy thing to say, but as we've come out of the horror years of COVID and all that happened, there's like a fresh breath of God. And as we talk to churches across our nation, and we've seen it across the world, there's just something fresh. There's a fresh hunger in people's hearts. There are people coming back and new people. And yeah, there were some that stayed away and haven't come back yet, and we not going to get all uptight about that. But whenever God moves, God wants people to move with him. Uh, one of the psalmists says that your people will volunteer in the day of your power. And we're seeing this evidence of God doing something. And I'm asking the simple question, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to engage with, God, with what God is up to on the planet? I love this passage in Matthew eleven twenty eight, and I'm reading it from the message where Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out, burnt out on religion? He says, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. We were singing about that in that song powerfully, this whole do something in me and I will show you how to take a real rest. Now, when Jesus says that, he's not talking about doing nothing. He's talking about finding a place in him where what you do flows out of relationship and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says, walk with me, and here's the thing, work with me. So the rest is not about doing nothing. It's just about doing something in relationship, empowered. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And I love this phrase, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And he says, I'm not going to lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. But that thought, the unforced rhythms of grace. And there are many things that are part of the unforced rhythms of grace. A rhythm is something that's repeated. It's something you do regularly. It's a rhythm. It's a pattern of doing things. And one of the great patterns of grace is actually serving 
serving not only the Lord, but serving others. And it's so closely connected to worship. Jesus, when confronted by the devil in the wilderness, uh, and I said he'd give, me, give him the kingdoms of the earth, he just worshipped the devil. He said, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So worship and service are intrinsically tied together. And forgive me this, I'm not trying to be harsh, but it's almost a lie to worship and not serve. Because they are so tied together. And so this is a challenge, an invitation to say, would you step forward, would you step up, would you get involved? And I want to talk about it's your serve. That's the title, it's your serve. And this close connection between worship and serving. And it's bigger than just church life, but it starts off in the house of God. I don't want to reduce serving just to what you do on a Sunday or some other time. But, but it's part of it. And the Bible teaches that and we're not going to get into all of it. But it's also having an attitude, God, I am your servant in the community. I'm your servant wherever I go. I, but I'm also your servant in the house of God. The Gospel of Mark is an amazing gospel. Somebody called it the Go Gospel. And the reason is because Jesus is presented as the servant saviour. If you just have a quick look at it, Matthew is the gospel of the king. And so there's a genealogy that is royal. Luke is the son of man, Jesus presents himself as, or Luke presents Jesus as. And there's a genealogy because he's the son of man. John has a divine genealogy. In the beginning was God, and God was the Word, and the Word was with God, and all of that. Mark has no gospel, because who cares about a servant's genealogy? And so there's the sense of Jesus, the servant, the one who's come to serve us. And there's phrases in it where it says, immediately Jesus went and did this, and straight away he went and did that. The servant going from place to place, serving humanity and the whole gospel is kind of summarized by Mark 10 and verse 45 it's the key verse it's the summarizing verse and it's the words of Jesus for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to give his life a ransom for many. It's an astonishing statement. Because if anybody had the right to demand service, it was Jesus. But he laid aside his glory, took on the heart of a servant, and served humanity. He came to serve and to give. And the question is, what did you come to do? I know it's a little bit challenging, but I just want you to reflect on it. And I'm asking a question, how do you read that verse? And I want you to know, because I'm going to come back to this thought of how you read that verse, or any other verse in the Bible. I didn't ask, what did you read? I didn't ask, did you do a word study and try and work out some of the meanings? And that's helpful, that's insightful, it gives the sense of the Greek. It's not, what did you read? But how did you read it? is a really, really important question. What do you make of this declaration of Jesus? And maybe a better question, what will that declaration of Jesus make of us? If he came to serve and to give, and that 
He's our Lord and Savior. What does it make of us when we engage with that and think, wow, what an example did he set? And I think it should actually inspire us to be servants like Jesus, our master. Effective servants who don't run on theory or theology, and good theology is important, but on action, engagement, doing something. You see, we are born again or created anew to serve. Now, now first and foremost, God saves us because he loves us. He sent Jesus because he loves us. Let's not get that mixed up. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works. Paul's emphatic about this. So that no one can boast. But notice the next thing he says. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the Apostle Paul is intentionally playing off those thoughts of works. He said, you're not going to earn your salvation. This is not about legalism and earning and deserving. And God, look what I've done and how good I am. Can I get to heaven now? He says, you don't get to heaven that way. You don't get into It's all of grace. Everything was accomplished on the cross. But he said that the overflow of that is that you do good works. It's not by works, but you are born again for good works. To do something. To engage in our communities and in church life and in the workplace and everywhere we go. No action or work can obtain salvation. But God intends that our salvation will result in acts of service. And serving God is not a job for those who are casually interested. God actually asks for our lives. And in fact, we were singing it in worship. And I'm going to actually ask the, the musicians to lead us in the end because maybe we'll sing that last song a little bit differently with the words of surrender and making ourselves available to God. You see, serving is our priority, not a pastime. An afterthought. And God is not interested in servants that give him the leftovers. We are born again. Our sins are forgiven. And the blood of Jesus, according to Hebrews 9 and verse 14, cleanses us and cleans our conscience up so that we can serve the living God. Again, the grace, the mercy for forgiveness is so that we can serve with clear conscience the living God. With a sense of freedom, we can serve. And so I want to give you a few things out of Scripture. The, the list could go on forever, and I won't do that to you. But just a few things the Scriptures talk to us about. What should motivate us in worship and service? In worship and service. Well, first and foremost, I've kind of highlighted, it, we should be motivated by Christ. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 6, and he says a similar thing in Colossians chapter 3. But Ephesians 6, verse 6 to 8. As slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do. Now, the astonishing thing when you read this in Ephesians and a similar 
statement in Colossians, Paul is speaking to the church that is made up of slaves and free people. And in no way does Paul condone slavery. And I don't want to go on a tangent there. It's a horrendous thing. And the church is so remarkable in these early days that there were actually some slaves who led the church and pastored the masters because they'd encountered Christ. It is so radical, this kingdom that Jesus introduces into this ancient world. But he's speaking to slaves who have no choice about what they do day to day, who may have somebody who treats them well, but may have somebody who's brutal and terrible in what they do. And he says to the slaves, if you do it as unto the Lord, you will be rewarded by the Lord. Now, I don't know if you get how radical that statement is. To somebody who has no choice about what they do, but can transform the most menial task that a slave could be entrusted with or commanded to do, and suddenly it becomes spiritual. Something that honors Jesus, because it's done as unto the Lord. It is radical. So there's nothing in serving, whether it's within the church or going beyond the church, that is menial. And subconsciously, and I don't think it's essential, we kind of think the stuff that's done on the platform, that's the spiritual stuff. No, from my point of view, the most spiritual thing that happens on a Sunday is the person who makes me a cup of coffee. <laughs> and I'm having a bit of fun with that. But what I'm talking about, it's done as unto the Lord. It's part of serving. It's not, oh, this is spiritual and that's not. It's done unto the Lord. It's done to serve others. And Jesus recognizes it and delights in it. You see, in 1 Corinthians 6.19, you're not your own. You are bought with a price precious blood of Jesus. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So we're motivated by Christ. Secondly, and this is so important, we're motivated by forgiveness. I love the encounter that we find, and the words will go up then, I'll come to the moment in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is called to be a prophet to a nation that's in rebellion. There's all sorts of things going on that are not great. And Isaiah gets a revelation of God. I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple, the, the seraphim, the angels, holy, holy. And he suddenly realizes he is a very broken sinner. A woe is me, I cried. I am ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, and then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, with which he had taken from the tongues from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. I want to stress that. Your guilt is taken away. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, Lord, send me. And I want you to catch the power of that. God doesn't look at him when Isaiah is going, woe is me, I'm guilty, I'm filled with shame, I don't know what to do with my... Okay, now let's manipulate your guilt. 
Let's see how much pressure I can put on you out of guilt to do what I want you to do. God doesn't do that. God comes and through the angel and for us through Christ, forgives us, cleanses us, sets us free. And then allows Isaiah to overhear a conversation in heaven. Where the three members of the God are chatting. What are we going to do? How are we going to help this nation? Who will send? And Isaiah says, I've just been set free. Send me. I'll do it. And it's same. That's the motivation. It's not guilt and obligation and fear or judgment that motivates. It's forgiveness. It's God's love. Thirdly, we should be motivated by gratitude. God speaking to, through the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 12. And he says, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, considering what great things he has done for you. And again, notice the motivation for serving is not, well, you just do it. And the fear there is not a cowering, it's a reverence and awe of God that is described and spoken of there. And he says, let gratitude motivate your acts of service. Remember the good things that God has done for you. Uh, over dinner last night, uh, they asked me how I got stuck in Australia, and I love it. I love it. But I was on my way somewhere else, and my wife interrupted me. You know, she chased me until she caught me. Um, <laughs> it's my delusion. Leave me alone. <laughs> and I was telling some of the story of the things. And even I was telling, I thought, man, God, you're amazing. Because it's, it's 42 years ago, and I don't live in that moment every but just talking about how God opened doors, did things, and I'm thinking, why wouldn't I be serving the Lord for the good things he has done for me? In Psalm 100 verse 2, I will serve the Lord with a long sad face and grump and complain as much as I can and demonstrate to everybody how inconvenienced I am by helping them. I've been in churches where that's the way some people appear to serve. What do you say? Serve the Lord with joy or gladness. Serve the Lord with joy, the great things. So we serve the Lord motivated by Christ's example, motivated by forgiveness, motivated by gratitude, motivated by love. The heart of serving is loving God and loving people. Galatians 5 and verse 13 says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Now, I'm not going to do a full study of the book of Galatians, but what Paul does in Galatians is for five chapters declare our freedom, our liberation. He, he says you're free. You're free from sin. You're free from guilt. You're free from rules. You're free from the Old Testament laws and regulations. The yoke of slavery has been listed, lifted off you. You are free. And then he goes, well, but just don't use your freedom to indulge yourself, to serve your own interests, to serve and indulge the flesh. He says use the freedom that God has given you to humbly, in love, serve others and again he says the serving starts in the house of God it's not restricted to it but it starts 
And as you go on in the passage, talking about serving one another. And he says, especially the household of God. Especially. The, the, the fifth thing that should motivate us are the gifts that God has put within us. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit makes you alive to God, begins to indwell you. And the Holy Spirit, and I love this about him, always brings gifts with him. The Bible describes it in 1 Corinthians 12, that the Holy Spirit distributes the gifts. And wherever the Holy Spirit turns up within an individual's life, in a community of faith, he brings gifts. But they are gifts for serving. They are gifts for building each other up. They are gifts not for ourselves, but they come through us to bless others. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. I love that the Holy Spirit is a gift bringer. A gift bringer. First Peter 4.10 Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. As faithful stewards of God's grace. Do you realize that when you serve out, out of one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit releases in your life, you actually release grace into somebody else's life. And Jesus brought it down to, even if it's a cup of cold water that is given in my name. Again, something seemingly unspiritual, but so powerful. The slightest thing, if it was me, even if it's a cup of coffee given in the name of Jesus. Just making a real hint for a coffee midway through. <laughs> Love it. I just want to land this thing. And I think we all know the story of the Good Samaritan. In fact, it's welcomed by everybody in our society. It's become part of our language. Oh, he or she was a Good Samaritan. You know, so it's, it's culturally accepted, even if it's not understood where it comes from by many in our society. It's probably the most well-known teaching of Jesus, or one of them. But actually, it's a very uncomfortable parable, story that Jesus tells. Because it exposes something about the heart and motives of two religious people who thought they had command of God or were doing everything right. But it actually exposes a, a narrowness, a smallness, a selfishness in their hearts and celebrates a most unlikely hero. The rivalry, the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans was renowned. And so when Jesus introduces a Samaritan, he's bringing the most unlikely person front and center to be the hero. Well, to me, recently reading that, what was even more challenging was what introduced him teaching that parable. And so let me give it to you just quickly, because it's relevant to what we've been talking about. On one occasion, this is Luke 10, 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law, so this is not a lawyer, but somebody who knows the Old Testament and all the rules and regulations, and there was, I think, 960-something laws you had to live in, very complicated. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And the word test there means test, to provoke, to entrap. It, it, he's, it, this is not an honest question. Teacher, he asked, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers, what is written in the law? And then he said to the man, how do you read it? Remember, I started with that question. Not what did you read? Because the man could tell him what he'd read. But Jesus is not interested in what you read. It's how you read it. How do you read this? These verses, these things. And again, the man tries to adjust him. He gives a good answer. Jesus says, you know, the man says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you answered well. And then he says to justify himself. This is the man trying to excuse, worm his way out of this trap that he'd set for Jesus. But suddenly he's been caught in it. He says, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Again with the thought of, how are you reading this? You see, there was nothing wrong with this man's knowledge of scripture. But there was something terribly wrong with the way he read it. He read it so he could judge others. He read it so that he knew, had knowledge, but actually wasn't willing to do anything about it. That's how he read it. Because he wants to justify himself. He wants to talk about the text. He wants to dissect it. He wants to discuss it. He wants to theorize. But Jesus doesn't play that game. And the story is so challenging and convicting. Because in the story, it's two people who know God, who's serving God, but actually don't want to serve people. And I'd, I'd like you to just do something for a moment and encourage you to read the story in the context maybe as homework. I like to give out homework every so often. <laughs> no, but just sometime, get quiet, read it. We know the story, this man on a journey falls amongst thieves and gets beaten up and left for dead. And the first one is a lawyer, a scribe like this man, Jesus puts him right in the story, walks down the road, sees the need, and crosses to the other side. A priest does the same thing. So here's the question. It's an uncomfortable question, I'm sorry. What is it in the human heart that can cause us to see a need and walk away from it? Now, again, because I want to get this balanced right the good Samaritan continues on his business journey so he doesn't do everything he doesn't suspend his whole life but what he does do he does what he can to help this man and when he comes on the return trip just checks are oh, you still doing all right so it's not like he does everything but he does something and he involves others in the something okay so we, we need that because otherwise we could be overwhelmed but what is it in the human heart, because I found it in my own heart on occasions, that will pretend I didn't see that. I hope somebody else does something about it and walks to the other side. As again, seeing a need and saying, God, can I be part of the solution? Even if I can't do everything, can I be part of it? to help the church be stronger, to fill some of those gaps in the different things that need to be done and to take that spirit of serving outside the four walls as well.
Because Jesus won't permit us to play the game of just knowing the text, speaking about the text, theorizing it. His question is, what will you do about it? How do you read this? Not what do you read? Jesus is far greater than the Good Samaritan, as much as he's a hero in the story, because he came on a journey and laid down his life for us, sacrificed everything, and did all the work that was needed to accomplish salvation. And so the question I've got, have you received the gift of salvation that Jesus paid the price for in laying down his life, the power of his resurrection to make it real to you. And if you haven't, there's a prayer that's going to be put up on the screen and we're going to pray it. And I'm going to ask the whole church to pray it with us. And so that if you're praying it for the first time, renewing a commitment, or maybe just making it real, you can have confidence. There's something about our words saying it. So can we pray this together? Dear Jesus, Son of God, who died on the cross and rose to forgive my sins. I ask that you forgive me. I give you my life and invite you to be my Lord and Savior. Today I'm born again. I trust my future into your hands. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that for the first time or renewed a commitment, I'm going to encourage you to tell somebody. And just as I pray that, because what they will want to do is help you take your next step. It's a decision to follow Jesus. It's a walk. And there's always a next step for every single one of us. But as I hand back to the team to just conclude and sing that song that we sang earlier, perhaps with fresh eyes as to what the words, what you were actually singing. And just to encourage you, if you're not serving, to say, God, I'm here, I surrender. Where's the need that according to my gifts? They say, Can, I, I want to suss this out. I, I want to find out more. And once you sign up, you, it, it, you have to do it for 10 years without changing. No, you don't. You don't. I know the heart of these two and the team. I sense something great spirit if it's not the right thing dealing with toddlers you can pull the parachute and escape <laughs> and, and what I'm saying you can explore and it's not about flip-flopping in and out of things that have been uncommitted but discovering where your best fit is would you see that as your next step in following Jesus thank you team God bless you